Okay, as we get going this morning, um, I told you last week that we will be talking about one final king. One final king who faced a trial. And I said that before I even knew what had happened in Minneapolis, before I knew about any of the horrors of this last week. Um, I have to admit, um, as being a child of the 60s and having seen the riots in California, the riots in Detroit, my own home, having seen all of the things that happened in the 60s, all of the clashes and the violence, I thought those days were beyond us. I thought those days were in the past. And yet today, I see that none of the old hatred is gone. None of the old animosity has departed from us at all. We are a nation once again that is burning, that's on fire, and I don't understand it. Yet I look in the Word of God, I look at what I have prepared to say, and I just praise God because it seems a very appropriate thing for this day and this hour. So today we are going to be in a couple different places. We are going to be looking at the story of King Hezekiah when he faced a crisis in his kingdom. But we're also going to be looking at my favorite of all Psalms. And that's not, it's not the one that says the Lord is my shepherd. It's the one that says this is how a man can be happy. This is how a man can have peace. We're going to start in Psalm 1. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. This is one that probably was my very first sermon coming out of seminary. I preached it in Taiwan a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And afterwards, um, the pastor at that time walked up. He said, young man, you did a good job. I said, no, sir. God's word is good. And I still think that today. I still think if you read from God's word and let God's word speak, it's going to be a good sermon because God's word is good. Amen? Amen. I look at what's happening in our country and people have forgotten something. There's only two ways to go through life. There's only two roads you can follow. One is the path laid by Jesus Christ. The road followed by so many. It is the rocky road. It is the hard road. It is the narrow path. But there's a big path, a path everybody walks on. It's the path we have seen in the news this week. It's the path where someone cries and everybody rallies to them and they all start marching. They stop thinking and they start acting on their emotions. Acting on your emotions is the most dangerous thing you can do because the human heart is very fickled. Today I say I love you. Tomorrow I say I hate you. Today I say I accept you. Tomorrow I say I can't stand you. And that's how the human race is. We're very fickled because we go with our feeling of the moment. Yet God's word says don't go with your feeling. And furthermore, be careful who you surround yourself with because people will lead you in the right path or they will lead you in the wrong path. So there are two roads but only one road leads to spiritual victory. There are two roads, but only one road leads to spiritual victory. Psalm chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. You may know this one. If you do, you're going to love it. How happy is the man who does not follow the advice of the wicked, or take the path of sinners, or join a group of mockers? Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction. He meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside streams of water that bears its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Now that last one, don't you pay attention. Whatever he does prospers. But you have to read this in the light of what God is saying. He is not saying if you are a Christian, you will be wealthy. 
He's not saying if you are a Christian, you will never be sick. He's not saying if you're a Christian, you will never have hard times. Because, sweetheart, I have had some hard times. And can I get an amen on that one? If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, sometimes the path is hard. We are all human. We are all aging. And as we do, things go wrong. When you're young, you have a massive chest. And when you're young, when you're older, it settles into your gut. And you call that Dunlap's disease, where your stomach Dunlapped over your pants. It happens to us all. Age gets us. It just takes us out. But there's the thing. It's not about the body. It's about the head that leads the body. Now take a look at this. He says, do not follow the advice of wicked or take the path of sinners or join a group of mockers. Three things here. Now, for those of you who do not know, this has been dubbed the used car salesman psalm because this is the strategy used by a used car salesman to get you to buy the car they want, not the car you need. You go in there and Doug says, I would like a car that is fit for a family of four and can do a lot of work around the ranch. And they say, well, that's good. So they walk you past the trucks, they walk you past the SUVs, and they take you to the two-door Corvettes. The ones that are $120,000 that you can barely get yourself in, much less your wife and your two kids. And they convince you that this is the car you want. So that is the advice of the wicked. The wicked take you where they want you, not where you want to go. Then it says the path of sinners. What they do is they lead you to the one they want you to buy. And they have you look at it. Then they have you what? Sit in the car. They know that if you sit in the car, most likely you will buy it. Once you sit down in it, you can see yourself owning it. And no matter how practical or impractical it is, you will buy that car. That's how it works. But there's more to it than just that. Now consider this. We're going to take this and we're going to apply it to King Hezekiah. King Hezekiah is found in 2 Kings chapter 18. What happened is this. He is the king in Judah, the southern kingdom. He is besieged by the Assyrians led by King Sennacherib. There's a name for you. Don't ever name your children Sennacherib. They will never live it down. So what happens is, King Sennacherib comes against Judah, and to get to Judah, he has to go through a city called Lachish. So they think that Lachish will hold, it's a, it's a great city, it's a, it's a huge city, and by the way, it's one of the most documented historical biblical accounts we've got. We know all about the battle of Lachish, because Sennacherib wrote a whole account of it, and how he took the city. So what happens is, Sennacherib takes Lachish and comes on to Jerusalem. He's going to take the big capital city. Now, before he comes, he sends a man, and we're going to meet him right here. It says, then the Rashak, the Rashak, the top Assyrian official, the commander of his expeditionary force, the Rashak, stood and called out loudly in Hebrew. Then he spoke, hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. This is what the king says. Don't let Hezekiah, the king, deceive you. He can't deliver you from my hand. Don't let Hezekiah persuade you to trust in Yahweh by saying, certainly the Lord will deliver us. Stop right there. Now, Hezekiah has gone to the prophet and the prophet has gone to the Lord. The Lord says they will not fall. So the prophet says to Hezekiah, your city will not fall. By the way, the prophet was Isaiah. When Isaiah says it, that settles it. It's done. Why? Because Isaiah only speaks the words of God, not his own. So he says, don't worry, King Hezekiah, you will not fall. 
So the Rashach comes and he's going he's gonna to make them afraid. This is what he says. Don't let Hezekiah persuade you to trust in Yahweh by saying, certainly the Lord will deliver us. This city will not be handed over to the king of Assyria, who was Sennacherib. Don't listen to Hezekiah, for this is what the king of Assyria says. Make peace with me and surrender to me. Then every one of you may eat from his own vine and his own fig tree, and everyone may drink water from his own cistern until... I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive trees and honey, so that you may live and not die. But don't listen to Hezekiah when he misleads you, saying, Yahweh will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nations ever delivered his land from the power of the king of Assyria? Wow, Sennacherib was gutsy. He beats all these other cities, all these other states, all these other countries. He comes to Jerusalem, and Jerusalem was well fortified. It was a well fortified city. He comes there, and he's going to take it. Now, I'll give you a hint. We know from history this doesn't happen because the, the northern kingdom fell to the Assyrians, but not the southern kingdom. The southern kingdom will not fall till later, and it will fall to a king we know well, Nebuchadnezzar. But Sennacherib thinks he's got all this. He thinks he is so tough, so, so gutsy, so powerful that nobody can stand against it. So what does he do? He sends his representative to insult the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The Rashak is doing, he is trying to frighten them. He is trying to make them afraid so that they will not fight, so that they will give up, so they will turn their back on their God and on the prophet Isaiah, and they will allow themselves to be taken. You see, every king knows if you're going to conquer a people, you have to break their will. You have to break their will to stand on what they know to be true. Here's the thing about the advice of the wicked. It's not meant to help. It's meant to take you captive. It's meant to take you captive. He says this, go ahead, give up to me. I'll let you enjoy your land but I'm going to come and take you away and put you in a different place. If you look at the Assyrians, they would come into a country and they would take a captive. And the first thing they did was deport either all the men or all the women. And then bring in people from their own country, put them into that land, and they would get all mixed up between the men of one land and the women of another. And then the people who would come in would bring their own gods, their own rituals, their own sacrifices, and they would subvert the God of Israel. They would supplant the true God of the nation of Israel. That's what they did in the northern kingdom. They brought all these people in, and the, the, you know, we talk about, oh, you shouldn't uh, mix up with other peoples. That's not other peoples in terms of ethnicity. It's other people in terms of religion. Here's the thing that gets me. We have a lot of our children and our grandchildren now, who think there's no difference between a Christian and a Muslim and a Jew and a Buddhist and a Hindu and an atheist. They think there's no difference, but there is a difference. How can a household have two gods? It can't. How can a household worship two separate entities? It can't. What made America great way back in the day was the American Bible Society. In fact, the Chief Justice of the United States, the very first one, John Jay, became the president of the American Bible Society when he stepped down. You know what they would do? They would greet people at the docks as they came into America. And they would say, welcome 
to the United States of America. Here, here's a Bible for you. This is what we believe. We do not force you to believe it. We do not ask you to believe it. But you need to know this is what we believe. This is what we stand for. So if you came in and you got that Bible, if you chose not to believe it, that was fine with them. But you needed to know that that was how the government was based. That's how the laws were written. That's how people were meant to live their lives here. The problem is anymore, no one has that. No one has an identity anymore. No one knows what to believe, who to believe in. And what the Rav Shach, what he wanted to do was to cause the people to give up the God of Israel and embrace this Sennacherib who would be the God of the people. He would be the savior of the people. He would give them everything they wanted and everything they needed, but that was God's job. You can't take away God's job. But there's more to it. It says, be careful not to follow the advice of the wicked or go down the path of sinners or join the mockers. Now here's the thing. When they were told, don't fight us, don't believe King Hezekiah. Don't believe Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah comes right back and he says this. 2 Kings 19, 6 and 7. So to answer the charges of the Assyrian officials, God says this. Isaiah said to them, say to your master, thus says the Lord. Right there, that settles it. Every prophet who would speak the word of God would say, thus says the Lord. They never said, I think or I feel, or it seems to me. They never gave their own advice, they gave the words of God. Thus says the Lord, do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard, with which the servant of the kings of Assyria have reviled me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him, so that he will hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. You know what happened to Sennacherib? Well, I'll tell you, over in uh, chapter 19, verse 35, just a few verses beyond that. It says, And the Lord sent an angel in the night, and the angel of the Lord murdered, slew, killed 185,000 Assyrian troops. Don't ever think that angels are fat little babies with wings, because, sweetheart, they ain't. An angel of the Lord is a very powerful creature. That's what Satan was before he fell. He was a cherubim. Four faces, four wings, cloven hooves, and a lot of power. An angel of the Lord has the power to do anything God can do because he comes in the name of Yahweh, God of Israel, and he does it. So 185,000 Assyrians died in one night in their camp because God wanted to show them who he was. And from that moment on, the king of Assyria, Sennacherib, withdrew. He went back to his country because he had heard that other kings were going to marshal against him. Remember, God says, I will, put a, I will put a bug in his ear and he will return home. It says he will fall by the sword in his own land. Do you know who killed Sennacherib? You'll love this one. Sennacherib went home to fight these other kings. And while he was praying in the temple, both of his sons snuck up and put daggers in his back. He was murdered by his own sons because they had heard that dad was going to put their third brother on the throne. Well, they didn't get the third brother. They missed him. So they ran for their lives after they killed their father and their third brother did ascend to the throne. 
So you see, everything that Isaiah said in the name of God happened. It happened just the way he said it would. That's why you have to be careful about not listening to God. Consider Amos chapter 7, verse 12. Then Amaziah said to Amos, go away, you seer, flee to the land of Judah. Um, Amaziah was king in Israel in the northern kingdom. So he says, go back home to Judah. Earn your living and give your prophecies there. Don't ever prophesy at Bethel again, for it is the king's sanctuary and a royal temple. By the way, anybody remember Bethel? A young man fleeing from a very angry brother, and he sleeps one night, and there in the night he sees a vision of angels ascending and descending a ladder, Jacob's ladder. And he says, surely I have ventured into the house of God. Beth El means the house of God. And yet the king says, this is my house, my sanctuary. No, it was God's house, God's sanctuary that he was defiling. So Amos answered Amaziah, I was not a prophet or the son of a prophet. Rather, I was a herdsman. I took care of sycamore figs. It's a tree. But the Lord took me from following the flock and said to me, go prophesy to my people Israel. Now hear the word of the Lord. You say, do not prophesy against Israel. Do not preach against the house of Isaac. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. Your, life will be a, your wife will be a prostitute in the city. Your sons and daughters will fall by the sword. And your land will be divided up with a measuring line. You yourself will die on pagan soil. And Israel will certainly go into exile from its homeland. See, here's the thing. The northern kingdom fell and was never restored. Never restored. Jerusalem fell a number of times, but God always brought them back. Why? Because they were faithful to the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. They were faithful to Yahweh. Yet when Yahweh spoke to Amaziah, the king of Israel, he would not listen. The people in our country today hear God crying out for mercy, for grace, for peace. Stop the violence. Even Floyd's own family is begging people, please stop burning, stop killing, stop attacking police officers. They're begging for an end to the violence, but their ears are so plugged, their hearts are so filled with rage, they can't even hear the voice of reason. That's what happened in Israel. And when they fell, they fell permanently. They were destroyed, and they never came back. That's a lesson America needs to learn. We don't make America great by returning economic power. America can only be great by getting back on its knees and going to the God of heaven and begging for forgiveness and begging for restoration. That's what we need to be telling people, what we need to say to them. So you see, there's two paths, but only one path leads to victory, and that is following the God of Israel. Hezekiah followed the advice of Isaiah, who spoke the words of God, and he was victorious. Judah did not fall. Jerusalem did not fall. But the northern kingdom fell because they didn't listen. The last thing we see right here, it's in Psalms 1, 4. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not survive the judgment, and sinners will not be in the community of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. God doesn't destroy the wicked. He allows them to destroy themselves. Please write that down. 
God is not in the business of destroying wicked people. His job is to save people. But if people choose to be destroyed, God will allow them to destroy themselves. God will allow them to fall into complete chaos. People who will not seek the face of the Lord will get what they sow. You sow, you reap. If you sow sedition in the old days, you get overthrown and destroyed. That's what happened to the northern kingdom of Israel. They would not come back to God, and God allowed them to be carried off, as was the whim of the king. Now, there's two things I want to finish up with right here. When it says, for the Lord watches over the righteous. It's in 2 Chronicles 7, verses 12 through 14. Then Yahweh appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. Solomon wanted to build the temple that David was not allowed to build. David was a man whose hands were stained by blood, especially Uriah the Hittite. He had caused the death of Uriah. He had stolen his wife. And for this reason, David was not allowed to build the house of God. He had blood on his hands. And God wouldn't allow it. But he said that one descendant would. And Solomon was chosen as the one. And Solomon chose Jerusalem in which to build the temple. When I shut up the heavens. Notice he says when. Because he knew his people were fickled. And they were not always obedient. And they would get off the track. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain. And command the locusts to devour the land. Or send pestilence among my people. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. That's three amazing promises from God. You hear that? Three amazing promises. I will hear their prayers. But the prayer that God's attention goes to is the prayer of repentance. The prayer of repentance is the prayer that God hears. If a man says, God, I don't want to follow you. God, I don't want to serve you. God, I don't want to be your child. But can you please do this for me? God ignores that prayer. Because that is not the prayer that is made in good faith. It is a Hail Mary prayer. It's a prayer you throw up there hoping somebody hears it. But when we pray, when we repent, when we turn away from the things that we've done wrong, God hears that prayer. Then he says, I will forgive their sin. That's the most important thing. Why? When I have sin in my life, whether it be hatred or resentment or, or, or some sort of antagonistic spirit, then that cuts off my relationship from God. Cut off from God. I'm on my own. I only do what my own mind tells me. And that's never a good thing. So if God hears our prayer and he forgives the sin, he restores the relationship that we have. Then we hear him. Then we can understand. Then we can respond to what God tells us to do. He says, and I will heal their land. The only thing that can heal the United States of America right now is a massive movement of repentance, is a massive movement asking God to forgive us. Billy Graham said before he died that America's last and only hope was to return to God. I'm here to tell you, I, I believe it when he said it. But I'm also here to tell you that maybe it's just me. Maybe I've lived too long. But I don't think we can go back anymore. I don't think this country can return to God anymore. 
I think this country has replaced God with a God of money and a God of prestige and a God of respect and a God of whatever it is these people are looking for. I think that's what they want. I don't think they want God. I don't think they want humility. I don't think they want restoration and salvation. And because of that, I don't think America can be healed. This is what I believe. If I repent of my anger or my hatred or my frustration or whatever it is, I believe that God can forgive me. He can heal me. He can restore me. And that I can be an agent of healing, an agent of restoration, an agent that goes on and passes to other people what they need to do to be saved. Just as the church is not a building, it's not a community, the church is an individual who is the tabernacle of God's Holy Spirit. When a bunch of us get together and we all have that same experience of repentance, of coming to God, then together we can make a movement that expresses itself in a VBS, that expresses itself in an Easter celebration or a 175th anniversary celebration or a Thanksgiving celebration. All we can do is make sure that I am straight. Then I worry about my family, that my family is straight with the Lord, that there is healing and restoration. Then we move out to our church. Then we move out to our friends and our family. I don't know what the future looks like for this country. I really don't. Um, I've heard a number of pastors who never in the past ever talked about Revelation. They've never mentioned it. They don't talk about it. They don't preach about it. Suddenly, everyone's talking about it. Everybody's preaching. Because I think even the pastors who were pie-in-the-sky Pollyannas, I think even they realize we have come to dark days. But what is the light in the darkness? It is the church believing that God is a God of restoration, that God is a God of healing, and that the only way to that is through repentance and through coming to him. The interesting thing about King Hezekiah is this. Toward the end of his life, he, he fell gravely ill, and he sent for Isaiah. He said, Isaiah, please come see me. I am sick. Hezekiah said, Isaiah, I don't know what's wrong with me. Can you ask the Lord about me? And Isaiah went to the Lord, and the Lord said, Go tell Hezekiah, put your house in order, you're going to die. It's your time. Well, Isaiah went to Hezekiah, and he said, King Hezekiah, this is what the Lord says, put your house in order, you're going to die. Hezekiah, it says he turned his face to the wall. He basically turned in his bed, away from Isaiah, away from everybody, and it says he prayed facing the wall. And basically his prayer was, God, I have seen you do great things. God, I have seen you deliver Israel. God, I have seen you save us from our enemies. Lord, you can save me. And as Isaiah is going home, God interrupts and says, Isaiah, go back. Tell Hezekiah, I have heard your prayer. And I will add 15 years to your life. He went back. He said, Hezekiah, quit whining like a baby. You got 15 more years. Now, the interesting thing about that is if Hezekiah had died at that moment, then there would have been a king who was not born. You see, during that 15 years, Manasseh was born. The most wicked, evil, vile king in the history of Israel was born during those 15 years. And I wonder sometimes if the Lord didn't want to preempt Hezekiah's life to prevent that child from being born. But because Hezekiah sought his face. 
and prayed for that restoration. God gave it to him, even though it brought with it the consequence of the birth of the most wicked king in the history of Israel. God hears us when we pray. No, no pronouncement by a doctor is final. Everything that God wills to happen will happen. You know, and, and um, I leave you with this. One of my favorite people is Habakkuk, one of those prophets that never gets preached about. Nobody talks about him, but I want to talk about him today. Habakkuk in chapter 2 said this. He has brought a complaint to the Lord. He has brought a complaint that the people are suffering and struggling. And he says, Lord, answer me. And this is what he said. I will stand at my guard post and station myself on the lookout tower. I will watch to see what God will say to me and what I should reply to my complaint. Then Yahweh answered me, write down this vision, clearly inscribe it on tablets so that one may easily read it. For the vision is not yet for the appointed time. It testifies about the end and it will not lie, though it delays, wait for it since it will certainly come and will not be late. He was talking about the destruction of the city. God has given us a vision. He gave it to John, actually. And John had a vision of what would happen in the last days. And this, this is so amazing to me. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It testifies about the end. Everything John saw will happen. Though it delays, wait for it, since it will certainly come and not be late. Everything God said that's going to happen in the last days is going to happen. Everything Jesus said in Matthew 24 is going to happen. In fact, it's happening right now. I read Matthew 24, and I encourage you to do it. Go home and look at it. You read Matthew 24, and you go, oh, my goodness. Men's hearts will grow cold. They will not love God or their fellow man. They will love only themselves and there will be this outpouring of violence and destruction. That sounds like the day in which we live. So am I all doom and gloom today? Not a chance. You know why? Because Jesus is coming back. And he's coming back for us. He's coming back for you and for me. All we have to do is redeem the time. Tell people. Warn people. Let them know that what's happening in this world may not get any better. The coronavirus may come back again and again, but you know what? That's okay. Why? Because God is still with us. It's not like any of this is a shock. It was written 2,000 years ago so that we could be ready for it, so that we could be strong in the midst of it, so that we would not be overtaken. We know that the world doesn't go on forever. We've always known that. I think it's harder for young people to accept this than for old guys like me. Yeah, what have I got left? 40, 50 years? That's it. So here's the thing. If I get 40 or 50 years, I'm happy. If I get 20 years, I'm good. If Jesus comes back today, even better. We'll all be together in heaven. No aches, no pains, no falling hair, no missing teeth. We're all good. Because God will not abandon his people. He didn't abandon Hezekiah. He didn't abandon Jerusalem or Judah. He will not abandon us in these days. Amen. So be, be encouraged. Don't let the news drag you down. Suicide rates are up. Why? People have given up. Domestic violence is up. Why? People are stressed out and don't know what to do with it. This is what you do about it. If my people who are called by my names will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, 
Then I will hear, I will forgive, I will bless, I will strengthen, I will keep you going through the midst of it. That's why you can be positive every day. That's why you can have joy every day, because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Amen? Let's pray.